as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for that reading, Kerry. Well, good morning and welcome to church this morning. Thank you for joining us. Uh, whether you're in the auditorium here or whether you're online, it is good for God's people to gather together and to just join in celebrating our wonderful Lord and Saviour. Uh, as Pastor Darrell said, today we're going to be completing our series in 1 Peter, and uh, I'm obviously looking at 1 Peter 5, and we'll be looking at these last words and instructions um, to those who are considered um, shepherds and sheep uh, within God's church. And Throughout this letter, uh, which was sent to five different areas of the Roman Empire, Peter has expanded on three major topics, and uh, those topics were, the sal were salvation, the church, and uh, Christian living. And he call, his call is for Christians to stand firm, living lives of faith, holiness, and love. But he also warns that when we stand firm, when we stand firm, opposition is going to come. That is just part of living for Jesus. So there will be suffering. But he encourages believers to be faithful in the midst of this suffering. Their faithfulness comes when their lives are established on the shorter foundation of the salvation found in Christ and Christ alone. Something that Peter covered in the first chapter of this letter was exactly that. And in summary, we've been born into a living hope. That hope is Jesus and all of his promises to us. And all throughout this letter, we hear Peter referring mostly to two different terms, which are salvation and grace. It's upon this understanding of salvation that he has expounded on that Peter exhorts his readers to continue faithfulness in the face of persecution. But for us to live those lives of faith, to move towards faithfulness each and every day, we need to humble ourselves. And Peter returns to this theme many times. 
we must have a spirit of humility. And so often we fall into that trap of looking to our achievements, our positions, our status, even within the church. And we forfeit the grace that could be ours because that's not God's way. If we follow him, it's no longer about us. It's all about him. And true humility is willing to acknowledge that who I am, what I have achieved and what I hope to achieve is submitted to Jesus. I am who I am because of him and him alone, nothing more. It's not my will, it's his will that matters. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. If we humble ourselves before God, he will do great and mighty things in, through and around us. It'll be transformational for us it'll also be transformational for the communities around us. Let's pause and pray. Father, I thank you that you are a good God. I thank you that you only want the best for us. And I thank you, Lord, that you welcome us back again and again, even when I mess up, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that your call is for us to do exactly that, to humble ourselves before you, to admit our wrongs, to submit ourselves fully to you. Lord, my prayer this morning is simply that you'll take this word and use it for your glory and purposes. The lives will be transformed as a result. Let us hear you, I pray, Father, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. From the beginning of Paul's, uh, Peter's letter here, sorry, he has called the church to live faithfully before God. And there's this constant background in all that he writes about the persecution that is upon them. And at the end of chapter 4, he calls believers who suffer according to God's will to entrust their souls to God. This completes his address to the church. Uh, in, and in this closing chapter, in chapter 5, he speaks to three specific groups. He speaks to elders, the young, and then he speaks to all of them. And when addressing elders, he says to shepherd the flock. The ESV begins in chapter 5 by saying, so I exhort. And so it's referring back to what was said before. And what it refers to is the suffering that the recipients of this particular letter are going through right at that time. We would say an unjust suffering because they're being attacked for living righteously. And so Peter calls the elders to shepherd these troubled sheep. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter here identifies himself with the elders. They are all witnesses to the sufferings of Christ and they're all going to partake in the future glory that is yet to come. And he calls himself a fellow elder. This is Peter not just humbling himself, but also elevating the position of elders at that time. He's incorporating them in the work that he is actually doing, with the work of an apostle, with the gospel proclamation, with caring for the sheep. But it's also on identifying with the elders in sympathy. He knows the temptations, he knows the struggles, he knows the opposition, and he also knows the joy that elders have in the work that they actually do. And being witnesses of the suffering Christ, Peter is appealing to the elders to endure the hardship, to endure the pain, to endure the suffering and the persecution because of Jesus' example. It is not a call to just preach the sufferings of Christ, but also to endure those sufferings as he did, those same types of sufferings, knowing that all who do, all who are willing to endure, will share the glory that is yet to be revealed. Peter then moves on to the elders' responsibility to the flock. 
Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. He provides very specific guidelines to what should and shouldn't be involved in the role of shepherding. You're not an overseer because you must or you have to or you are under compulsion. You're an overseer because you're willing, as God has called you to. You shouldn't do it for any gain, financial or otherwise, but you should do it because you're eager to serve. You should not lord it over those entrusted to you, but they should that overseers should be examples to them. And all of the above, all of the above can be summed up in a call to not lead like those of the world would lead. The elders are called to shepherd. And the whole analogy of sheep and shepherd may be lost on us, but it speaks volumes to those who are hearing these words at that present time. Most animals have this uncanny ability to find their way home. We've read those stories of dogs travelling thousands of kilometres to get to their home. And uh, we had a bit of an issue with our dogs. Uh, one of them looked like it was going to have to be put down and the other one escaped. Gone for ages, but it found its way home. They just seem to have that ability to do that. Sheep don't. Sheep get lost, they're gone. They stay lost until the shepherd goes out and finds them and leads them back. When sheep are led to good pastures, sheep will stay there and they'll do nothing but eat and drink. They'll just enjoy that time. But when they run out of food, they, they don't have the ability to move on to good pastures unless it's a trail that goes there um, with food all along the way. So they're pretty much helpless to find their own food. Sheep also excrete lanolin and some of you use lanolin and know it to be a fantastic product but if the sheep aren't looked after as they excrete this they attract dirt they attract dust they attract grass they get twigs stuck to them all sorts of things and if this isn't cleaned and attended to they do actually end up catching diseases and they can ultimately get very sick and die from these diseases when we think about sheep defending themselves they're pretty passive they don't have any defence mechanisms really whatsoever. And when they are attacked, the whole flock will panic and flee. So the shepherd has to always be on guard, continually defending the sheep and heading off any attacks that may actually be coming. Quite simply, a shepherd is called to do all things that help to strengthen, protect and guide the sheep. And that's what the elders are called to do. They had a shepherd the flock for all of the flock's good. What the elders do should draw people to Christ. Their devotion to the church is first and foremost to set an example of being a Christ follower and to continue to serve the church even in the midst of suffering. And when they do, they'll receive a crown, an unfading crown of glory. The reward for elders is not in this life, but they will be rewarded in glory. The only reward in the here and now is knowing that they are doing God's will within the church and they are serving in submission to him and his purposes. And then Peter moves on from the elders to two other groups. But the basic message is that we should submit to all, elders and all people alike. And this is a tough call. By our very nature, we don't want to submit to anyone. We want to do things our way. We want to have our own way in each and every situation. But this is God's word to us. No one is exempted in this call. 
So likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 5 begins with an address to those who are younger. Uh, The NIV actually says young men, but um, when we look at the original text, it's referring to both male and female. So this uh, translation from the ESV is a little better. Likewise, you who are younger. So the call is for men and women to submit to the elders. Peter is calling these younger men and women to be willing to listen to and to follow the directions of the elders. And with the previous section having established how the elders are to lead by example, then it shouldn't be difficult or onerous for people to actually do this because the elders should have the best interests of those people to heart. But it would seem there's also a call for all of us to humble ourselves. This is a call to the elders, the younger and the not so younger. It's everyone. No one's excluded. We're told to clothe ourselves with humility. It's an interesting term, isn't it? Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Well, what, what does that look like? Just, just think about that image. If you clothe yourself with something, you're doing it willingly, you wrap it around you, it becomes a part of who you are for that day, people will see it, they'll identify with it, because it is your outer clothing, it, it, it shrouds you, it is all of, around you. You don't do it requiring further prompting you do it because it's the right thing to do it's a choice that you make every moment of every day to be clothed in humility and when we choose to clothe ourselves in humility we consider others more important than ourselves that's how jesus lived he was other centered he was able to die for us because he didn't think of himself first he thought of me he thought of you and he put us before himself and we are called to do the same to put others before ourselves i want you to think back to jesus in the upper room just before he was going to be taken and crucified he's there with his disciples and they didn't fully understand who jesus was at that time but they loved him, they respected him, they honoured him. And on this night, Jesus rose from the table. He took off his garments and he clothed himself in that of a servant. And he washed his disciples' feet. And he goes on to say later in this text, no servant is above his master and if jesus as their teacher and lord washed their feet they should do the same for each other are you willing to do that are you willing to clothe yourself in humility are you willing to stop demanding your rights and live in obedience to jesus a servant is not above his master refusal to clothe ourselves in humility means we are choosing to have god oppose us that's what it says god opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble the call is to live in holiness and humility but so often we see people who begin well 
But their holiness leads to self-righteousness. Their holiness leads to pride. And they're no longer holy, though in their eyes they see themselves as more so, holier than others. Humility remains the foundation of holiness at all times. And we always need to keep in mind that God knows our conduct, He knows our hearts, and He treats us accordingly. If you are proud or arrogant, refusing to humble yourself, God sets Himself against you. If you willingly humble yourself, God extends His grace and favour to you. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. I love what is said here. And I'm often reminded as I read scripture about my kids when they were younger. And this brings my children to mind. You know, because when we look at this verse, I think about my kids when they were really young. You know, they can't carry much. And so they get you to carry their stuff for them. And you do it willingly because... They are so small. And there's times when they're tired. There's times when they're sick. There's times when they just need a hug. And you just carry them. And I, I, I delight in those memories because I can't carry my kids anymore. They're way too big now. And that time is way too fleeting. It, it, it's incredible how quickly it goes. But this is the illustration that's here. When you are suffering, when you have anxiety, when you have whatever, cast it on God. There's, there's this unbelievable, compassionate, loving being. God loves and cares for us so much. We are his children. He is our heavenly father. And he can carry so much more than I can with my kids. And he is so willing to do it. And the casting is a transfer of ownership. It's a taking the weight off myself, that which is weighing me down, and transferring it to God for His keeping, for Him to deal with whatever He decides to do with it. And I want us to remove something as a people of God from our language. Uh, I've heard it prayed, I've heard it said, it doesn't make it any more correct. It is wrong. And we encourage people to come to this church on this day, at this time, and leave their burdens at the door so they can engage with God. It's heresy. It's wrong. God wants them to bring those burdens in with them. And he wants them to lay them at the feet of his cross. He wants to take that from us all. Whatever it is. And he wants to carry it for us. And when they come and they lay that at Jesus' feet and they unburden themselves and they leave it with him, they go from here rejoicing. They go from here released. They go from here encouraged and strengthened in the faith. But this is a humbling experience. This willingness to submit our problems and our sufferings to him and trusting him that whatever it is whatever it is that burdens us he will bring justice he will bring healing in his time not our time and we do it 
because we're assured that God cares and loves for us. Our call to humble ourselves and submit to God is interrupted in this verse by two commands. And we're told to be self-controlled and be alert. And Peter is well, well aware of the pitfalls in overconfidence and self-indulgence. Remember, this is the guy who proudly stated, Jesus, all these others may fall away. All these others may stop following you. I never will. That's this guy. And he says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And when it comes to being sober-minded, you know, people think straight away about people who are intoxicated, people who get drunk, and that, that is a very small part of what is actually being said here, because certainly that would affect the way you think. But that's superficial when we think about what is really being said here. Peter has been talking about humility, humbling ourselves before God, and he's also mentioned the opposite case um, to humbling yourself, which is people being proud. And so when he says to be sober-minded, he's talking about that spiritual discipline. He's talking about that self-control. He's talking about having a clarity of mind that allows you to look at yourself in the correct way, a discipline of heart that makes you make the right decisions, the right choices, and prioritizing the things that are right. When we are sober-minded, we're willing to ask the question, Lord, is it me? This whole passage is about humbling yourself. And the question we should ask is, Lord, do I need to humble myself? It's not about pointing across the room. You've missed the whole point if you do that. Lord, is this me? And that's between you and God. And you need to sort that out with Him. So we need to be sober-minded. We need to have a correct balance in life. And we need to make sure that we don't allow influences of the world to have any control over us at all. And that's why daily we need to come back to humility. We need to humble ourselves before God and say, Lord, please show me those things which could lead me from you. Show me those things which could influence me to walk away from you. Show me those things which are not beneficial for me and my family. And Lord, let, them cut me, let me cut them out of my life. Let me have nothing more to do with them. Lord, I am your servant. I want to be more like you. I want to be more like Jesus. And all we do should be done with the mind of God. That's what a sober-minded person does. And then we're to be watchful, aware of the devil and his schemes. He wants to sow disunity. He wants to undermine our confidence in Christ. He wants to silence our repentance and our confession. And he will use any and all resources he can to hinder our belief in Jesus Christ. And we're living in an age where we have... So much information that bombards us. And we have young people who need spontaneous answers constantly. And the idea of sitting down and being disciplined is just beyond normal comprehension. It's something we have to instill again and again in the lives of people within the church. And we have to seriously pray, Lord. Keep me alert. Let me see the schemes of the devil. I don't want you to fear 
Satan and his realm. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And it is true. There is nothing Satan can do that God cannot oppose. But what I want you to remember is Satan has an incredible memory. And Satan is very patient. And when you are at your weakest moment, he knows what to hit you with. And that's why we have to be alert. We have to be aware that we become vulnerable at certain times to temptations. We have to be aware of those vulnerabilities. And can I encourage each and every one of you, get a prayer partner, get a mentor, get someone alongside you that you can call at those times of temptation and say, can you pray for me? I just need some support at the moment. And I've got a number of people who do that to me, a number of people who are facing uh, terrible challenges in their life. And I'll get a message and say, hey, mate, I, I just need you to pray for me right now. And that's what we should be doing for each other. And we should have the confidence to trust others, to hold that in confidence and to support us. That's what the people of God should do. We should be alert. We should be aware of his schemes. And when we are, we are called to resist him, firm in our faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by our brotherhood throughout the world. We're surrounded by such a host of witnesses. Who are those witnesses? They're people who've gone through exactly the same thing we have. When we look at these biblical accounts and stories, we think, well, that happened way back then. What's happening in the world today has already happened previously. There's this huge movement away from the church, a huge movement away from God. It isn't the first time it's happened. And we have to resist that. We have to stand firm in our faith. We have to acknowledge it's happened before, it's going to happen again. And we will suffer. But in the midst of their suffering, God is present. We resist him. We resist Satan. By not giving into temptation, we resist him by not denying the Lord in our words and our actions. We resist him by refusing to allow pride and self-righteousness to be a part of our lives. And we resist him by constantly humbling ourselves before our God. We hold fast to God, even in the midst of our difficulties, because he's unchanging. He is faithful, he is true, he loves us, and he wants the very best for us. When we do this, because we know there are brothers and sisters here at SDBC and further afield who are suffering the same. And we come together on days like today to encourage each other, to pray for each other, to build each other up in the faith. Much of what we've looked at today, I'm not covering the last verses because I'm not going to encourage the holy kiss. I'm just not going there. Much of this call today is for us to be humble. Clothing ourselves in humility. Think about that. Just think about that. Putting others before ourselves means we choose not to retaliate. It means we choose to show the respect we expect to everyone else. It means we choose to be, have a teachable spirit. And I know there's people here and there's people online who get this. And they're never offended when you say you need to be humble because they have that, because they're so, such in such a relationship with Jesus, they have that question first and foremost Well, Jesus, do I need to humble myself before you? It's a basic Christian principle. It shouldn't be something we get offended by. And I know some of these people, I, I have spent time with them 
and they intercede so powerfully for the church in tears because they want the church to be so much more than it is. And they're not proud or arrogant about that. They're just begging Christ to be revealed in everyone's life. They're begging Christ to be the power that drives them. They're begging Christ to bring unity, to bring revival, to bring a transformation. If that's you, more power to you. Keep pressing into our Lord and Saviour. Keep humbling yourself before him and making yourself available to him. I believe here at SDBC we're in a transitional period. I keep saying how excited I am about Master Life. I love hearing the stories by the people who are participating and I've lost track of how many stories there is. People who've talked about, this is so basic, there is nothing new here, but how brilliant it has been to be reminded of these principles. And I am connecting so much more with God now. And I'm enjoying reading his word once more. I'm hearing his voice. And more than that, there's people who are doing things in our communities that have never done them before because of the challenges that are found in Master Life. Now, don't hear me saying, Master Life's the do-all to end-all. It's the best thing in the world. It isn't. It's a tool. It's something that we are using to equip and empower our people. But man, it's having an impact. And I don't know how many people have been through it now. We must be close to 100 somewhere thereabouts and these stories just keep coming it's so exciting to see the transformation and the change but if we want true transformation in this place each and every one of us has to be on board no exceptions i think the church as a whole and i'm speaking globally we have to acknowledge that we've had a mixed history so many times when the church enjoyed power and influence uh, that power and influence ends up getting transformed and changed and it serves the church and no one else. We've used that influence for us. And we've become inward focused instead of outward focused. And as so many churches have become about making our members comfortable, when did we decide as a church that we could be more like the world and less like Jesus? When did we decide the church was going to become a social club where we just gathered here and we didn't think about the ones outside the, these walls? We don't need to justify where we're at. We don't need to excuse ourselves for our godless behaviour, our self-righteousness, our proud actions. What we need to do is a bit we need to do better. It is us, the church. Who's made it hard for those who don't know Jesus to know him. Jesus says in Luke 4, 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Have we done that? 
We have been called to be like Jesus, to follow his example. He proclaimed the good news to the poor. When have we done that? What have we done to make the poor welcome? He proclaimed liberty to those who are captive by the vices of this world. When have we intentionally looked at ways where we can turn around some of those things that hold people captive? He prayed for the restored sight of the blind. How many would come if we called the healing service this week? Why don't we do that? Why don't we believe that the same Holy Spirit that healed at that time can heal today? He freed the oppressed. He calls us to do the same. Will we humble ourselves? Will we obey what God has said in his word? Willingly submitting to leadership, praying for leadership, supporting them. Are you willing to stand as one people? Humbling yourself, humbly serving each other, looking out for each other. Or will you be the ones that Jesus spoke of in the passage that we looked at today? The ones he opposes. Because he opposes the proud those who are unwilling to humble themselves. If you're part of that mob, you might also be part of the mob mentioned in Matthew 25. He would say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. I believe we're called to change. I believe we're called to more. I believe it starts with humility. But the ball's in your court. If you do nothing with it, we're wasting our time. Let's pray. Father, sometimes your word feels like a baseball bat. And I thank you first and foremost, this word challenged me. And Lord, I want to serve you. I want to come to that day where I hear you say well done good and faithful servant but Lord I ask that Holy Spirit will move amongst us you have a work to do and I ask that you'll humble each and every one of us I ask Lord that you will raise up people who will be willing to stand for you your purposes and your will in this church and that they'll do that in a gracious way Lord that they'll want to see SDBC transformed into a place that is known for its love, not just of you, but its love for our community and our desire to see everyone, regardless of religious background, regardless of social status, regardless of culture, regardless of history, come into your kingdom is what you've called us to, Lord.
don't let us rest until we're obedient to you, I pray.